0: Hello, and welcome back to Hidden Animals. I'm Andrew St. John, and this is Episode 7. This is the seventh and final story in the collection Ripples. This one is called Shells. As the breakers hissed around his ankles, the old man shuffled along the sand. Every few steps, he stopped and leaned over to look at a shell. Most of them were cracked and splintered, on their way to being ground up into the same particles that covered all the beaches along the southeastern coast. He'd examine each one for a moment, then sometimes flip it over with his walking stick for a better look. The stick, a piece of driftwood nearly as tall as he was, about five feet in length and over an inch thick, had all but become an extension of himself. He had etched his name in block letters near the top, Lloyd, and it had been smoothed and polished by years of exposure to sand and salt. His skin, however, was anything but smooth. Like most other beach dwellers of his age, he was covered in deep brown wrinkles. After his wife passed, he had traded her companionship for that of the much brighter, less forgiving South Carolina sun, They had talked often of retiring to the Low Country, of spending their last years together among the salt marshes and sea islands, but her body had succumbed early to decades of grief and gin. In a way, she was lucky to have buried only one of their children, he thought. The fat and muscle of his youth seemed to have given way to wires and sinews that now barely propped him up. It was almost as if he'd been preserved by desiccation, worn down to a taxidermied skeletal frame. An expression of vague but persistent disapproval began in a furrow between his eyes and descended in sharp lines to the creases around his mouth. His walks were as regular as the tides. In fact, he followed the charts with as much precision as his body and the weather would allow. One hour after high tide, twice a day, he would take his stick and cross the boardwalk spanning the dunes behind his home. At the bottom of the stairs that led down to the beach, he would turn right and begin his hunt. As the tide retreated, it left behind thousands of specimens for him to evaluate. The old man knew the ocean's vocabulary well. He recognized the scallops and cockles and whelks, by name and by sight. The clams alone required their own lexicon. Cohog, razor, venus, coquina. An ever-present layer of periwinkles crackled under his sandals while he made his one-mile trek toward the mouth of the inlet. Inevitably, his solitary walk was punctuated by the squeals of children and the admonishing shouts of their parents. As peaceful as it was, this stretch of beach was also a treasured destination for tourists. Even in the colder months, the old man would still have to dodge a family or two to make his daily journeys. In the summer, his beach was invaded by vacationing hordes who plundered the shoreline, taking whatever living or dead specimens they wanted. He would watch as toddlers and teens ran amok, poking at horseshoe crabs and taunting seagulls. Lobster red dads cast their lines into the surf to catch sharks or hunted in the tidal pools for blue crabs. Moms in their modest skirted one-pieces strolled with buckets, bags, and nets, collecting all the shells they could find. It didn't matter how many they had. There was always another and another and another. And so he plodded on, day after day, searching for the shells that were still intact. He found them beautiful, and he was captivated by the balance between delicacy and resiliency. Most were thin and brittle, cracking under the slightest pressure. Yet so many of them survived the pounding waves, the rocky jetties, the universe of wildlife shrouded from sight under the water's surface. He could see why people treasured them, but he doubted very much whether they understood them. They just wanted some token, some artifact to take with them as a reminder of the experience. And for what? To sit and collect dust in some attic or garage somewhere? To be cracked and shattered inside a suitcase or grocery bag tossed into the trunk of a car? Maybe the lucky ones get displayed or decorated, but they are all eventually discarded. His wife had not really cared for collecting shells. She would stop and admire them on the sand, but she never kept them. A native of the Carolina coast, she had explained to him once that a shell was beautiful because of what it was, a home. Some creature had formed the calcified armor as a way to survive, to protect itself from all the predators and caprices of life in the ocean. It was for this reason that she always left them as they lay. They belonged to the beach, to the sand and sun and waves, to the place where their architects were born and had perished. A giant pregnant cloud rolled parallel to the beach a few miles out. Its shadow swept over the old man and cooled him for a few minutes. Saturdays were usually quiet. Most of the rental properties on the island began and ended their weeks on Saturdays, so the turnover usually meant the beaches were somewhat empty in the middle of the day. Only a few families were out this morning, which made for easier hunting. After examining a lovely moonsnail specimen at his feet the old man flipped it over with his stick to see if it was damaged at all. He found it to be perfectly whole, not even a crack. With a smile, he lifted the stick a few inches, then drove the end of it downward onto the shell. A little girl of about seven, standing nearby, gasped when she saw what he had done. She asked in shock and amazement why he would break something so pretty. Because this is what the beach is made of. The shells have to stay here so the beach doesn't wash away. But we like those kind, her voice wavered. I wanted to give it to Mommy. Oh, I'm sure she'll find some more. She took a step back from him, not taking her eye off the brown and white fragments he had scattered. A single tear hit the sand. He watched as she ran back to her parents and plopped down between them with her head squeezed between her knees. In one comically precise synchronous movement, Mommy and Daddy both swiveled their heads to look at the old man. He shrugged and turned back toward his familiar path down the strand. After a few steps, he towed a rather large scallop shell, dislodging it from the wet sand just beyond the foaming surf. It was whole, but had a hairline fracture that lightened across its ridged outer surface. Again, he lifted the stick and plunged it through the shell, and on he walked. As the waves crashed and swirled farther and farther out, he made his way back along toward the staircase, toward his home. Occasionally, he'd find shells that he and the other scavengers had missed. These were destroyed in the same fashion as all the rest. As he neared his point of origin, the little girl who had interrupted his earlier holocaust caught his eye. Her parents frowned at him nearby. For a moment, he thought she would burst into tears again. It was hard to tell as she squinted in the sunlight. Instead, she marched over to the blanket spread out in front of their beach chairs. She picked up a plastic bucket and carried it bouncing against her sun-ripened leg over to the old man. Her parents continued frowning, but now in puzzlement rather than disapproval. Before they realized her intent, the girl upended the bucket, spilling its contents onto the sand. An impressive assortment of shells and sand dollars tumbled out. She looked up at him with her head half-cocked. Don't you want to smash them? she asked. Oh, I don't think Mommy and Daddy would be very happy about that. Her mouth twisted in that childish expression of deep contemplation. After a beat, she stuck out her hand, clearly indicating a silent request for his stick. He hesitated, knowing what was about to happen. Nevertheless, with her pink hand remained outstretched in the same steadfast gesture, he complied, and now her parents could read the foreshadowed fate of their bounty. Within earshot of their protests, but beyond their physical reach, the girl's fist closed righteously around the stick and smashed it downward repeatedly in a rather fierce, butter-churning motion. By the time they reached her and snatched away the weapon, every shell had been pulverized. "'What are you doing?' Mommy demanded. "'I'm saving the beach!' The girl's simple, cryptic reply did nothing to assuage their anger, and the old man tried in vain to stifle his amusement. "'What is your problem?' Daddy demanded. This time, the question was posed to the old man. Having faced similar confrontations before, he knew better than to reason with them. After many years of being a father and a grandfather, he knew that children were quicker to understand because they had not yet been hardened by the emotional and intellectual undulations of experience. Unlike adults, Children were not pursued by the demons of regret and shame. They were all future and no past. No problem here. I just want to go home and put my feet up. I'm not the same as I used to be, all young and full of energy like this one. He gestured to the girl, who spun around to chase a chain of low-flying pelicans. He reached out and gently took his stick back from the still-fuming young father. But why did you let her destroy all our shells? Your shells? Hm," he grunted. What? What does that mean? The weary old man sighed and clumped up the wooden stairs to cross the boardwalk back over the dunes. He heard the girl's father swear under his breath. At the top, where the wind gusted around him, he paused for a moment to watch the frustrated couple gather up their belongings. They folded the chairs and flipped sand out of the buckets. They gathered the girl's toys into a bucket and collapsed their umbrella. Meanwhile, the girl was hunched over the edge of a tidal pool. A thrill illuminated her face as she reached in and pulled out a bright orange starfish. She turned to share her discovery, but her parents were still busy, angrily loading all of their beach accoutrement into a canvas wagon with giant off-road tires. The light in her face dimmed. She lowered the starfish back into the shallow pool and watched it sink beneath the gently rippling water. Turning around, she saw the old man at the top of the steps. She smiled and threw a surreptitious wave at him, then fell in step behind Mommy and Daddy as they sulked away. He answered her gesture with a conspiratorial nod before turning and shuffling along the boardwalk back to his house. (laughs) ¶¶ I remember one year uh, on vacation at the beach, I was watching all the beach going activities going on, you know, people playing in the water, kids building sandcastles and running around and guys fishing in the water. There were people walking around picking up shells. And I remember thinking that this is great. I love it. I love the beach. It's a lot of fun. To me, there's a lot of stuff you can do and people have every right to go and enjoy this natural beauty, right? Uh, But I remember watching a couple of people walking around and they were picking up shells and putting them in their little bag or bucket or whatever. And I remember just having this image of an old man with a stick walking around, looking at the shells and crushing the ones that he finds that are intact, the ones that are really nice. And in my head, this character was doing it purely for spite. Uh, He lived at the beach and for whatever reason was just very bitter and angry at the world and didn't like people coming and taking the shells for themselves. And so, he goes around and smashes them. Uh, so like a lot of my other story ideas, you know, I jotted this one down and and it sat untouched for years. But when I finally sat down to write the story, I needed to know a little bit about his background, why he was the way he was, uh, because there needed to be something more than just spite behind his behavior. I wanted there to be an actual reason and so you know I didn't try to soften him up too much I didn't try to make him a very likable person because to the outside world he does probably just seem like a spiteful bitter old man but he does have a reason you know his late wife grew up in that area and she gave him this philosophy of well the shells are made by creatures who live and die in the ocean and those shells are part of the the fabric of the beach itself you know literally they get pulverized and crumbled up and they become part of Of the landscape. And in her mind, that was enough reason to just leave the shells there. You know, they belong there. If we want to continue having beaches, we can't strip them of all the shells. Whether this is possible realistically to to ruin a beach by taking the shells, I I don't know. I doubt it. But in her mind, it's just the principle of it. And because of his attachment to his wife uh, and his, you know, he, he clearly loved her and was saddened by her departure. And so this is maybe his way of helping that sort of idea live on. You know, instead of just refraining from taking them himself, he's actively going out and destroying them so that other people can't take them, which, again, from the outside looks kind of crazy. Um, but this is obviously a, a routine for him. He does this on a daily basis uh, and he comes to resent the uh, vacationing hordes. Um, because in his mind, they are outsiders who come in and they do whatever they want. They take whatever they want. They they don't seem to have any respect for the beach that he holds so dear, which in conjunction with losing his wife, and there is a reference in there about him losing his children as well. So this man has a lot of reasons to grieve anyway, but then to watch these people come in and disrespect the beach like this, it's an obvious recipe for, for bitterness one of the most important choices I had to make for this story was the conflict um, because it can't just be a story about an old man walking around crushing up shells because that's not really a story. So there has to be some kind of, of conflict going on and it took me a while to, to land on the right person here because if it's an adult that he has this conflict with, it's going to be very short probably and they're just going to think he's old and crazy and move on and that just wouldn't yield to me a very rich result. So I finally landed on the, the person who sees him doing this and, and confronts him about it being a little girl and this is important for other thematic reasons but the fact that she challenges him on this and he explains his position, it doesn't seem to comfort her or convince her in any way that what he's doing is right. She seems very upset. And then when he comes back around and she insists on destroying the shells, uh, much to the chagrin of her parents, there's this kind of hopeful attitude that... Even though he does seem just like a bitter old man to the, to the people around him, there is something about this where he's able to pass on something to the little girl that may have some kind of impact on her life. And she may grow up seeing the world in a, in a different way. And so I wanted to end this collection on a story that had some kind of hope to it. I didn't want it to be... Certainly didn't want to beat the reader over the head with it. But to me, this is one of the best ways to end this collection, because everything in it has been about, you know, the choices we make and the outcomes of those choices and how they affect not only our own lives, but the lives of others. And so much of what has happened in these stories has been very negative, very tragic. So I wanted to end on something like this, where an action had a consequence that may seem like a trivial encounter or even a negative one. You know, nobody wants to make a little girl cry. But the fact that there was this connection between an older generation and a younger generation, that does seem to suggest that there is hope in that we can learn from our own mistakes and we can teach people things from our own experience that will help them navigate through their lives and hopefully take those things and and learn and grow and pass things on when they get older. So sort of like the abuse cycle in hurt, there's also this positive cycle of teaching and learning and wisdom and, and all that stuff. Plus it was just really fun to write about the parents getting all in a huff and getting upset about the shells because in the grand scheme of things, those shells would have just ended up crunched up in in the trunk of the car, or they'd be discarded eventually. Nobody's going to look at these shells again, probably. But the parents act like this is some great treasure that has been lost. And I, I just enjoyed writing the indignant behaviors of those parents. And the moment at the very end where the little girl finds the starfish and she tries to show it to her parents, but they're so wrapped up in their anger that they don't notice. It's honestly one of the saddest moments in any of these stories for me, because the way that her face dims as she puts the starfish back in the water i mean it's kind of devastating because this little girl was excited to share something that she had found and her parents are too busy in their own world to notice or to care and so she has this defeated look on her face and it's kind of the sad moment but as she's walking away she sees the old man up there and she waves at him and smiles and so even if she's not going to get uh the love and attention all the time from her parents There are other ways to make connections with people. There are other people out there who who can give us, you know, a little glimpse of happiness or hope or whatever. All right. That is the last story in Ripples. We are done with that collection and I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed writing the stories and putting them together. And I've had a lot of fun teaching them over the years. Not sure how much I enjoy the recording part of it. I had a very strong learning curve here in dealing with the recording and editing and all that stuff. And I'll be back soon, I hope, probably as early as next week, uh, as we begin reading the next collection that I wrote, which is called Judas Wept. And the first story there is called Lifted Spirits. If you'd like to support the podcast, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can share on social media. You can review the podcast on whatever service you're using, like Spotify or Apple or Google. You can email me with comments or questions, uh, andrew at hiddenanimalspodcast.com. If you'd like to donate directly, you can do so at the website, hiddenanimalspodcast.com. I'm very grateful for all my supporters, and as always, thank you for listening.